Okay, thank you, Barack, for having me here. Uh, super happy to join you. Well, um, it's interesting. It's interesting because you can go as as far as you as you want in my past. I mean, I come from the world of uh, financial education. I worked for 10 years um, creating financial education programs for the big financial institutions in Colombia and a couple of countries um, in Latin America. And um, then I created my first startup. It was a fintech. Uh, it was a digital financial advisor um, in personal finance. So like all these experiences, made me realize that there was a huge problem around um, access to insurance in, in LATAM. It was extremely, it is uh, extremely difficult uh, to get insurance in LATAM in a um, streamlined way, in an easy way, uh, with a good user experience. Um, and at the same time, I think that's one of the reasons why LATAM has one of the lowest penetration rates uh, in insurance. So um, I thought there was a huge opportunity uh, there. Um, and I found a couple of co-founders that had also experiences um, similar to mine. Uh, Mathilde, even when she's French, like half French, half British, um, you, would, you would think that they don't have these problems in Europe. Well, they do. So she, she comes from um, the financial uh, auditory uh, background and she knew how difficult was insurance. And uh, then Carlos, he's Mexican and uh, he's the technology guy. And he had helped um, like lots of fintechs and banks in Mexico solving their problems uh, through technology. And he also knew insurance was like ripe for disruption. So this is how like the three of us thought there's something we need to do about insurance. It's such a huge opportunity, but at the same time, it's something that can help so many people that need to protect their, uh, their income, uh, their health, uh, their belongings, etc. that we can do something uh, big here. That's long story short, our story. I mean, what makes Figuro's approach to insurance unique compared to traditional legacy models? I would say there are, there are several differences. The, the most important uh, ones, I would say, is that um, we see insurance as a data science problem, not just like an actuary problem, um, like an actual, yeah, like we don't solve insurance by, by bringing more um, actuaries to the, to, the, to the industry, but thinking about all the data that you share when you buy insurance and when you work around distribution, for example, um, and how this data can help you um, create better um, user experiences, uh, can create better products, can create um, like more streamlined processes, etc. So the first thing is we see insurance as a data science problem. So we are super um, committed to learn and gather data and um, build on this data that we that we gather. And the second one is we think that the problem is not creating new or more or just better products, insurance products. Yeah, that's important. Uh, it's part of the evolution of the industry. But I think the most important thing to solve, at least in Latin America, is distribution. If you solve distribution, then you can solve uh, product creation and all these things. So I think what Figuro has done differently, and I think that's part of our success so far, is that um, we have concentrated ourselves 
in solving distribution, in making extremely easy to buy insurance, even if there are no APIs, even if there are no technological integrations with uh, insurance companies in the region. Do you have any innovative technologies? What innovative technologies does Figuro leverage to transform this insurance, as you mentioned about the difference between uh, the uh, tra traditional models and uh, the new model? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, um, I mean, APIs are the standard uh, right now in fintech and in the industry. Um, so what we've done, for example, is uh, we, we have created lots of APIs to solve the problems that make selling insurance so hard in Latin America. Now, we know that insurance companies don't have the technology. Some of them maybe don't have the interest or the ur urgency uh, to develop their own APIs, but we can create our own like um, ecosystem for I mean, when the moment comes, we can be we can plug into their systems when they're ready for this integration. But we have been able, for example, to solve via uh, APIs all the um, or integrating the the front end and the back end, the back office and the front office in selling insurance. That's one. Um, definitely, data science, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Before they were the cool word and, uh, and, and they were super hot um, after OpenAI. Before that, we were using um, AI and ML uh, models to learn from every single quote, for example, we were giving through our platform as a vector of uh, information that could, me, um, that could let me predict, for example, or make easier the next quote for a different user that wanted to quote in the same line of insurance. We can do uh, these things using machine learning uh, and artificial intelligence models. And I mean, with generative AI, that's going to be the next thing. So it's it's like um, that's that's going to be another important uh, like piece of technology we're planning to use. It's the new standard. Uh, but so far, we've we've used these three APIs. Um, data science, data modeling, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning in the old school uh, interpretation of ML. So, and as far as I understand, this is a flywheel model. Uh, so uh, how does the, uh, how, I mean, how does the, this flywheel model work to make uh, especially your startup independent from insurance carriers over time, by the way? Yeah, that's, that's a really like interesting question, and that's part of I would say Figuro's secret sauce, which is um, we're not just selling insurance because we think uh, selling like selling policies is the is the real thing here is the most valuable thing. Um, as I said before, uh, I I think the data you get when you sell insurance um, is the most valuable thing. And it's the most valuable thing, not just for you to keep it, uh, but also to enrich the ecosystem and uh, disrupt the industry. So uh, our flywheel basically is like, the more policies we sell, the more data we get. And the more data we get, thanks to our technology and our models, the more um, we can predict, we can learn to predict, we can predict pricing, even if we don't have an integration with insurance companies. So we don't need APIs, uh, for example, to start um, guessing 
what's going to be the price for a new user, for example. And the more we can, the more we learn to predict, well, the easier quoting and buying is going to be for our users. And the easier quoting and buying is going to be for our users, well, the more traffic, the more cross sales, the more upsells we can do through our platform. That, like, that, that would be like the core. But as we can do also um, easier to quote and buy uh, insurance for our users, we can also go to different um, ways of acquiring users, not just relying on, I don't know, paid ads or something like that. We can go, for example, to existing agents and um, um, integrate their books of businesses into our platform as a way to have more data and to give all these people that, has, that have had a very traditional experience so far and give them now a very digital um, experience. And using all this like data we are gathering uh, and the more capacity of learning and the, uh, the Eastern, well, all the all the all the flywheel in the near future we can like start designing and backtesting insurance products for these users so it's like as we solve distribution first we can then migrate to solve uh product design and creation that's like the the general idea so what trends are you seeing in uh, especially colombia and latin america for the insure tech space right now i i know that you have already solved the problem and working on uh this issue but what are the trends and market forces well i would say i would say the first one is going to be the let's call it the apification of the ecosystem i mean uh, latin america is lacking um the con the connection to the insurance companies like insurance companies haven't developed the technology to let all the insurtechs connect to their cores and um, like being able to do quoting and binding of policies, something like super easy, super uh, automatic. So I, I would say that's, that's the main challenge and also the main trend because we have started to see that this is happening, for example, in auto insurance. Um, basically, the, the reason why there are so many insurtechs selling auto insurance in Latin America is because, well, insurance companies uh, decided to start um, creating APIs for auto insurance. But this is something that needs to uh, extend to other insurance lines. That's the first one. The second one is going to be, um, I would say, enabling the traditional in intermediaries. And that's something, for example, we are um, like starting to do in Figuro uh, today, which is maybe I don't need to keep all the technology for myself. Maybe I don't need to go and fight for all the users in the market, but I can use the technology I have created to enable traditional agents. Why? Because I think that in Latin America and probably like all around the world, um, traditional intermediaries are not going to disappear. They're, I mean, some of them are going, like a lot of them are going to disappear, but not all of them because the human touch is still super important, especially for complex products uh, like insurance. I, I would keep it there. Of, of course, we can talk about the traditional ones. Uh, AI is going to be the, 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 the super hot thing for, um, at, for example, um, in, in claims uh, to uh, talk to users and process claimings. And uh, I, I wouldn't need to have so many people in call centers or, or things like that. 
Um, I will be able to explain all these contracts in insurance that are so heavy and no one reads in, 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 in a very simple way to my users, et cetera, but those are the, the, the traditional ones. I, I will stick with this too. So what has been the biggest challenge, especially in the Figura journey uh, so far? <laughs> Uh, because I think not everything is uh, perfect. So what kinds of difficulties are facing uh, right now? Uh, there are a lot of uh, difficulties in, in insurance, but I would say um, first one, insurance is extremely complicated, like the processes in general for everything, for quoting, binding, uh, renewing, canceling, modifying policies, um, um, integrating or do things like in the most real time possible with insurance companies. Um, processes are very, very analog in, in, in Latin America uh, and in insurance. That's, that, that would be the first thing. So it's not like FinTech, uh, where you have now some standards, some frameworks, and it's like, yeah, if I want to create a lending startup, I, I mean, you have a playbook to do this. Uh, you don't have playbooks in insurance, not in Latin America. So you have to create everything uh, from scratch. That's the first thing. The second one would be, um, we haven't had like uh, a super successful startup in insurance in Latin America. We hope to be one of the first. Uh, like we're doing everything to be one of the firsts, um, but it's it's not like in the U.S. where you see some insure techs are already um, did already IPOs, for example, or are super well known uh, in the public. Um, so, as trust is one of the main issues in Latin America, trusts um, like with government, with companies, with like trust around like in society. Well, you need to create really, um, you, like you need to be very, or, or work very hard around creating trust in the public. Um, because I mean, people know Sura as the insurance company. They don't know Figuro or the name of the intermediary. So you need to create a name in this industry. And finally, I would say um, investment. Um, uh, like it's funny because all of, of, all of our investors um, are not from Latin America. Uh, they're from the US, uh, they're from uh, Europe, um, they're, they're all over the world, not in Latin America. And I would say it's because they haven't seen yet the opportunity or, or they don't understand um, like, like all the possibilities you can have in this industry. FinTech has, has been the, like the most successful story and where all the money goes. InsurTech is, is just starting. So it's like we have to open our space and convince all these investors. This will change. I'm, I'm super sure about this, but this is uh, the third biggest challenge we have had so far. What does the figure look like for hiring the talent in your to join your team? Is it uh, hard to find uh, talented uh, team uh, colleagues to your uh, venture? I would say yes and no. I mean, um, since we're a small startup uh, and we have been super like um, thoughtful about like being lean um, and have top players, but not solving problems through hiring. Um, I would say for us, it hasn't been like a problem or it hasn't been difficult. Now, I would say if you want to scale 
um, you may have difficulties finding top talent in LATAM. Not because there are not like people who are super top, but because there are not many. And the ones that already are in LATAM, well, they're already picked by other startups. So it's 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 going to be um, a, a really interesting competition for like yeah competition for this talent. That's a, that, that's the thing. Now the good thing about being a startup with a global view or scope is that you just not concentrate on your local market. Look at us. I mean, we are three founders from three very different countries: Mexico, Colombia, half France, half uh, Britain. So. Um, as, as, as we have this super international like um, conviction, um, we used to um, have talent from everywhere. Uh, and the technical talent for us, we have found it, uh, especially in Mexico and uh, outside of uh, Latin. So I say this is something that is improving. I, I, I know there are lots of people now like uh, training themselves as developers, as data scientists uh, in LATAM. So in the next five years, we will have lots of really good people to hire. But so far, we're looking everywhere, uh, everywhere uh, in the world. Yeah, you personally have the Y Combinator experience uh, and other acceleration programs. What did you gain most uh, from this participating in these kinds of programs? Oof. Um, I would say mindset, that's the first thing. Um, because being a Latino in a program like Y Combinator, I mean, at the moment I was in Y Combinator, it was a difficult thing because, um, yeah, you created a, a really nice network, but your network um, wasn't like US founders, it was other Latino founders. And then uh, there, there were lots of investors that even didn't know like where where, where was Colombia located. Um, that, that that was something you had to to deal with. Um, but I would say, Y Combinator and uh, five hundred startups, for example, changed my uh, my way of thinking about startups. Changed my way of thinking about even life, and gave me something that most Latinos uh, don't have, which was like a global perspective. Like I can create something beyond Latin America. The, the, the Latino founder usually concentrates in, yeah, just Colombia. Uh, and I think Colombia is super big. Uh, or just Argentina or just Mexico. And it's like, when you go to these programs, all these founders are like, I'm doing something for the world. Why not? Like the effort is going to be the same one. So it's like, if, if I have to pick a fight, well, I need to pick the biggest fight. Um, to make it uh, work. So I would say, yeah, um, mindset, um, like a top A player perspective and mindset and network. I would say that's the most important thing. Yeah, you learn some things, but I mean, talking about Y Combinator, you can learn everything you need from Y Combinator from the YC Startup School, which is totally free. Mm -hmm. But if you go there, it's like you learn how to really work and think as a founder and you learn how to uh, relate, uh, yeah, relate and talk to investors and you create network, network of investors, network of other founders. And I would say that one is the most important one because these are, it's, it's like graduating for college. Like these are going to be your, um, your emotional partners when you have to talk to someone that understands how hard it is to be uh, a founder, for example.
how do you stay motivated? It's a roller coaster journey. So especially entrepreneurship, how do you handle the stress? Um, well, I mean, for me, in, 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 in a very personal way, I would say I had to learn to um, get out all this stress through exercise and meditation. I mean, um, it's it's it sounds sometimes like the typical advice. Everyone says these two words. But at some point, it's like, yeah, everyone says these two things because of something, because because they work. Um, so I'm not an expert. I, I, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to tell you that I'm the guy that meditates every single day or whatever. Um, but I learned how to do it. And in times of uh, big stress uh, or things like that, um, uh, I, I apply it. It's like I take this tool. Like it's like I'm collecting tools and learning when to use them. Uh, again, exercise. I'm not the guy that goes to the gym every single day or whatever, but once a week, for example, it's enough just to um, get all this thing out of my body. And around motivation, I saw once um, this phrase that said, like this quote that said, like uh, many people think they lack motivation when they, uh, when what they really lack is clarity. So it's like, um, I, I like to think this way, like it's like, it's not about like, I have to motivate myself. I mean, if you're a founder, if you're a startup founder, motivation is, is something that has to come with you. Like you, you, you can't lose motivation because you live for your startup. You believe that you, you, you're so committed to the thing you're doing that that's the most important thing about motivation. The rest is clarity. And for clarity, well, it's just a matter of experimenting and do the work every single day. Things not always uh, come out the way you, you want, but from every outcome, good or bad, well, you gain clarity. And as you gain clarity, well, you stay in the game. And that's, for me, that's that's the, the whole thing. <laughs> and also uh, coming to Latin America and Colombia, well, how is the ecosystem, startup ecosystem in Colombia and broadly in Latin America? Uh, for the startups and uh, also venture capitals funds? Well, um, it's interesting because uh, Latin America, I think, has been a really uh, promising uh, region uh, for startups in the last five years. I mean, it's funny because my first startup, I, I, I created it in 2017. And in 2017, uh, the ecosystem was completely different. I mean, people who um, created startups were not that uh, many. Um, there were not that many acceleration programs. Uh, only like a couple of startups have been um, in Y Combinator, for example, by the time. So it was like, that's something that's not for Latinos, for example. But then what's interesting is that um, we started seeing unicorns uh, in Latin America. And we started seeing all these amazing founders that were the first that proved that it was possible to create something big in Latin America as a startup. And I think that motivated lots of other people and especially the first employees of all these startups. And, and you see a second generation of founders, I would say probably I, I, I'm part of that second generation um, that uh, were first employees of these first unicorns like Rappi, for example, uh, in Colombia or even Mercado Libre uh, from Argentina or, or, or companies like this, creating new companies. 
and having the support of those that were um, before them. And I think what's, what's interesting about Latin America and in general, the world of startups is that the founders are really um, um, interesting, interested in helping others. And Latinos have created this like brotherhood of, okay, let's help each other. And now, um, I mean, we had two amazing years uh, in 2019 and 2020, um, but we know that that couldn't be sustainable like forever. But I think we have a base now and Latin America is still a very attractive region uh, for investors all, all around the world. I mean, from my own experience, it was hard to raise capital, for example, because of the market. And it was as hard for me as if it was for someone in the US. But the, 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 perspective, the perspective and the uh, idea about Latin America from the investors I talked to was like, I'm really interesting. I'm really interested in this region. So it's, um, it's not a fully grown ecosystem, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an ecosystem that it's mature now especially in fintech. I think fintech has been the most important uh, uh, like line in, in, in Latin America. But then you see that from that first uh, success story, you start seeing founders in other areas um, creating something like something's really interesting, like, uh, I don't know, insurtech, um, climate tech, um, edtech, for example. So I, I would say um, Latin America, is going to be uh, really the, like a, a very interesting region in the next, uh, I don't know, uh, five years, 10 years, because we still have so many problems and so many people um, that, well, there are, there are space, there, there's space for lots of startups to come. Now in InsurTech, it's just starting. If you see the InsurTech maps, you will only see, I don't know, less than 20, 30 startups per country and even, like Central America only has like 10 startups in total. But what, that's, what that means is that there are opportunities for more teams to create new things. And as technology um, advances, well, more things will come uh, in Latin America. How does the government uh, support entrepreneurship and investment ecosystem? Are there any uh, assisting or I mean grant programs or funds of funds? Is there a program for entrepreneurs who are immigrants or coming abroad, foreign en entrepreneurs, especially Colombia? And uh, if you have any experience in other countries as well? Yes, um, I, I think that has changed in a good way too, which is um, Colombia started, for example, with some programs like Impulsa, which is the name of the government uh, program to foster entrepreneurship uh, in the country. And you have uh, similar things uh, in other countries like Mexico, probably uh, in, in Peru, you also have uh, really nice entrepreneurship programs like uh, powered by the government. Um, but I think the, in Chile also, Corpo Startup Chile is backed by, uh, by the government. But I think the biggest challenge still is that um, governments hasn't, haven't been able to attract people from the entrepreneurship community to run these programs. So I would say most of these programs are still run by um, government employees, which is not a bad thing, but it's like, I mean, sometimes with something as hard as building a startup, you should bring people that know how hard it is. 
because their feedback and their support is going to be way, way um, more valuable than just some funds, um, which is with, which has been the typical approach. Like, yeah, I can give you a small grant um, or some money to start. But in the end, I think money is the commodity. Money is not the problem when creating a startup. It's all about the vision, the team, uh, how you approach the problem. These are the things that uh, differentiate the good startups or the best startups from the just good startups and from the rest of uh, like uh, people that want to be like an entrepreneur. So I would say um, there are programs, uh, they're evolving. Now, for example, they're concentrating um, not only in the in the money part of the thing, but also in um, the the educational uh, part of the of the acceleration. But there are still lots of things to do, and I would say one of the most important would be try to seduce people that already um, were in the top leagues of entrepreneurship to come and help these programs. So the new entrepreneurs that have access to these programs can start having the vision. For example, I was able to get thanks to being a YC alumni or a 500 startup alumni or something like that. And you mentioned about the investors. I'm going to also sum up today's uh, conversation, but lots of questions pop up my mind uh, as you have been sharing the, your experience about the ecosystem. So how is the mindset of an investor in Colombia and Latin America? Are they investors of real estate or classical instruments? Because they haven't invested in you and they haven't seen the opportunity uh, on Figuro and probably most of other startups. And there are also uh, unicorns uh, coming up and then they miss these kinds of opportunities. Yes. And they probably talk in each other that they missed this opportunity, but look for another, but they still do not invest in startups. So what is the mindset of an investor in Colombia? Uh, I would say if I, like, if I had to talk about the average, um, which, can be, which can be misleading sometimes, but let's talk about the average or like even the, um, the, the model. Um, the typical investor in Colombia, it's a very traditional one. It's like, um, I prefer to invest something in something like real estate because I know the market. I know uh, how to make money on real estate. And because all the legal, um, yeah, like legal structures are based in Colombia. So it's like, I know the rules in Colombia. The problem with the startup world is that if you are a startup with a global perspective, well, probably you are a US startup. You're not a Colombian startup. Yeah, you have a company in Colombia, but your main company is a C-Corp in Delaware. Or you have a Cayman Islands um, startup. And because of all the bad press of, for example, Cayman Islands, when you talk to an investors and say like, yeah, I have a company in Cayman Islands and you invest there, but I don't give you shares, I'm giving you a save because when I get to the Series A, you will convert that into shares and dilution, etc. It's like, I don't understand this and I don't have time uh, to learn about this because um, all the information is in English. It's not like uh, I can learn this in, in Spanish. So it's like, I really don't know about this. It's super interesting because I know, for example, Rappi was a huge success. I, like I know there are big startups, 
but I don't know how to do it. And again, I, I insist, trust is one of the biggest problems in Latin American society. So um, I, 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 yeah, I, I, the, the reason why it's not that easy to go and find uh, startup investors in Latin is that be, it's because they're very um, traditional and even the one that invest in companies um, are more like in the private equity side. So it's like, I come from investment banking. So I know the traditional way of valuing a startup. Don't tell me that your valuation is 5 million, 10 million because your cash flow doesn't say that. Yeah. So explain this is super, super hard. Now you have some funds in Colombia. You can, uh, in Colombia, there are probably two, three uh, funds. Um, but as they don't have the capital that a fund like, I don't know, uh, any, I don't know, A16Z have in the US, well, they have to be super careful in selecting just maybe one investment every year or maybe two investments every year. In Mexico, you see more funds. Maybe there are 10 uh, big funds, like very professional funds. Um, but again, they don't have the resources that Americans have. So they're very selective. And in 2023, well, even, even more. So I, I would say, yeah, um, it's something that's um, starting again. Um, and as more startups um, begin to bring investment from, the, from, from, uh, uh, from foreign investors, and showing that it is possible to create a nice company and to be a Cayman-based uh, uh, company or a US-based company and be perfectly legal and give the returns to all these investors, well, you will, uh, you will have more, more people like um, willing to uh, invest and learn about these things. You are last question. Yeah. Maybe an open question, but if you have the ability or the magic wand to build the ecosystem in Colombia in a healthy and better and stronger way, what should you do? <laughs> well, I, that's a that's a tricky question. I could I could spend an hour uh, thinking about things to do, but I would say um, I would say I would promote like a public policy that joins forces from or combines the forces from the government, universities. I mean, look at what Stanford, Harvard, MIT were in the US. Without this, uh, like startups wouldn't be able to uh, exist the way they exist now. I mean, there's something in Stanford, something in Harvard, something in um, uh, MIT, et cetera, that made possible that people thought about uh, being an entrepreneur when they were at uni and even quitting university to go and uh, be an entrepreneur. Um, but I would say um, it's it's super important that, that the government, universities, private companies, the startups that already um, are succeeding in countries like Colombia, join forces to um, raise the bar in uh, what means to be a technological entrepreneur. That's the first thing, like teach the young people what's needed to be a technological entrepreneur and give them the um, like the this global perspective. Don't create things just for Bogota or Medellin um, or just Colombia. Think big, like we can think uh, big. That's, that's, that's the first part. Then, of course, when I think about joining forces, I also think about, um, for example, creating funds, like public funds, um, even 
there was something like that here with Ruta N in Colombia or even with Impulsa, but it's like give um, or create a really big fund that uh, invests in the instruments that these companies uh, need, uh, like saves, etc. Like don't try to make it everything um, like about Colombian uh, legislation. Like you also have to develop a global mentality around investment and how you promote that investment. And then finally, I would say you would need to you would need to start to connect all these actors with the top investment uh, funds. Um, it's like take people from uh, like we have had some programs like that, but they are like very 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 small. Uh, but take people from here and send them to not not to go and meet Google, to go and meet Y Combinator. 500 startups, give them just a week or a taste of what an acceleration, acceleration program is in Europe and, or, or the US and the best ones. And then bring people, uh, bring investors to Colombia and let these investors talk to all these entrepreneurs and teach them like, what does it take uh, and what does it, uh, what is needed to um, be part of their portfolios, for example. I would say, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the first idea that comes, that comes up to my mind, but there are lots of things that um, are needed to be done in order to create a better ecosystem. But I would say it's about combining forces, not having separate, like everyone, um, like super independent from each other. Let's combine forces because there are lots of things that we can do um, or lever uh, on. Yuan, this has been an insightful discussion today. Thank you very much. Now, thank you, Burak, for your invitation. Thank you again for sharing your entrepreneurship journey about Figuro and also innovative perspective with your um, uh, magical wand uh, <laughs> with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.